Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the TKW podcast, a trade deadline special, if you will. Some other things, but, you know, it's me here, uh, Sean Gates, a.k.a. I Hate Sean, and my illustrious co-host, Dean Joannu. How you feeling, Dean? A.k.a. Dean Joannu on Twitter. Um, I'm feeling good. I think we're both feeling pretty good about the team and a little confused about the trade deadline and what might occur. Recording this on Wednesday night, of course, the trade deadline is tomorrow in the middle of the day. So we're just here to answer some of your questions and give some of our thoughts where we think the team is, what we think the team needs, and what might happen, what might not happen. I'm excited to get into it. Yes, and I would like to personally preface these things. I think I speak for myself and Dean when I say, we don't know anything. To make that very clear. Like, we don't have any inside scoops. We don't have any intel. We don't, we're not pretending to have the, you know, drop on who's getting traded. We're simply just reacting to what makes sense, what you guys may have said, and going from there. Yeah, as always, um, there have only been a few even close to concrete rumors about the Knicks at this deadline. Uh, during the entirety of the Leon Rose era, it seems like the media hasn't been able to be two steps ahead of the Knicks. So I don't think that anyone can really say that they know too much. Um, but all we can talk about is what we know. So we'll get into those a little bit later, a little bit of scuttlebutt that there has been. Um, and for now, let's just talk about. How the Knicks have been doing. So coming into this pod, we're on a two game, uh, you know, they're not, it's not a streak until you get to three and thanks territory. But right now we've won back to back uh, big time win against the Sixers undermanned uh, with no Mitchell Robinson, RJ Barrett throwing up right before the game and leaving um, the Evan Forney and Deuce McBride masterclass. And then we had the win on the road in Orlando last night. We pulled the game out and that followed up a uh, four game homestand. We went two and two, which is very, it's like, it's could have gone one way or another, right? It was very encouraging because we went into that stand, you know, against those teams and it was a tough one. It was the two LA teams. It was the Miami heat and it was Philly. And so we won the heat game. We blew both LA games down the stretch, almost like in the same fashion, uh, except, you know, that Nick, Nick, uh, Nick Batum miracle three pointer. And we won the Philly game. And so, you know, how are you feeling about where the team is? Like, you know, 30 and sitting 30 and 26 on the season, uh, you know, we're on the home stretch almost coming out, of, coming up to all-star break. So how are you feeling about where the team's at? I think the main thought that I've been having is this is the stretch of schedule that we looked at a few weeks ago. And most Knicks fans were pretty concerned about. It looked treacherous, to be honest. And now that it's here, I don't go into watching these games expecting to lose at all. So it's not like past years where the Knicks were able to string a few wins together, but we know that the schedule is going to knock them back down to reality. I don't feel that way at all. I have a lot of confidence in this Knicks team. And uh, that win that win against Philly was incredible. Um, it's been nice to see Isaiah Hardenstein step up recently. He's been you know, someone that we've kept a close eye on all year. Felt a little, a little bit let down based on what we, you know, were told about him 
when he signed with the Knicks, but him, Deuce McBride showing so much more confidence. And it's interesting, like the Knicks are the Knicks are a unique place to be because it's one of the only teams where a guy could play like eight to ten minutes every night for months. You don't see that happen much. Usually if a guy plays eight to ten minutes, it's because you know the like the team was shorthanded and needed to cover a little bit of ground. But to see Deuce improve in a measurable way in such a small role, because that's hard to do. It's hard knowing that you're not going to have the time out there to get the rhythm as a shooter. So I've been extremely impressed with him. He's come up big recently. And just all around, I have a lot of confidence in the team, a lot of confidence in this nine-man rotation, which you know leads to like what are they supposed to be doing at the trade deadline? I'm not sure. Um, team's not perfect, but all the guys are in really defined roles, and they've gotten very comfortable in those roles, and it's translated to pretty solid results. So yeah, I'm right there with you. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, like a lot of the trade talk in terms of what we were going to do, or like it was about upgrading the bench. Like people were talking about, you know, we weren't getting good production out of the bench. Uh, Obi had just gotten back. RJ had just gotten back from his injury. And we know he gets a lot of run out there at the bench lineup. Uh, Quick was out there with the starters. Deuce wasn't shooting too well or too confidently. Isaiah Hartenstein, I mean, we were vocal about it. So he's one of my favorite people to talk about now because we were vocal about it and he was struggling. And he was kind of playing like trash. He wasn't giving us much. Um, and now, ever you know, ever since he came out and said that he feels like he's been letting the team down, letting the city down, letting the fans down, he's been great. He's been giving great effort. I mean, effort was never really his problem, but he's been grabbing boards. He's been, you know, protecting the basket well. And so I, I really appreciate what we're getting from Isaiah Hartenstein. And, I mean, between him and Deuce and Obi, you know, shooting the ball well and hopefully, you know, being able – he's getting some more like you – know, he's getting uh, more of those times where Randall sits for about six to seven minutes a little bit. Obi getting like a little bit longer of a – uh, you know, stint out there at certain times, still not consistent minutes or whatever, but he's impacting the game. And I just think the bench has been a strength again over the past couple of weeks. And I think that's big for us. And so now I don't think we necessarily have a problem of, Hey, we need to figure out how to, how to have a bench. That's not terrible. If we're adding, it's just a matter of depth. And I think that's a good place to be approaching the trade deadline from, uh, but you know, the starters, RJ's kind of struggling a little bit these past few games, especially early, but, I mean, Jalen Brunson has been phenomenal. Julius Randle has been phenomenal. Emmanuel quickly is playing excellent basketball. We should be getting Mitchell Robinson back soon out of the trade deadline. So, like you said, Dean, like, we we were dreading this part of the schedule, especially when we first lost Mitch. It was like, it was going to be a tough schedule. Then we lost Mitch, and then we had that horrible Atlanta game, and it was like, is this what every night it's going to feel like for the next couple of weeks? Um, and so I'm really glad that we're back at a point where no matter who, I don't expect the loss. You're right. Um, and I think this team is very capable. And, you know, if we get the starters and bench, uh, you know, roll on at the same time and finish the season out strong, I think that, you know, we have pretty high potential. So I'm happy where the team is going into the trade deadline. I don't have any like, you know, oh, we need to make this move or, oh, this needs to happen. I just know there's not anybody out there in terms of like available players where I feel like he's a must have on this team. Uh, OG Anobi sounded cool, but I mean, that market, it was seeming like it was three picks and players. I don't know how much, if any, the Kyrie trade changed the market at all, just because, you know, I, I think it impacted the market, like, but I don't think he was traded in like circumstantially. So I don't know if him being traded for one pick changed anything, but at the same time, it's like, can you ask me for three picks for OG Ananobi when Kyrie just went for one, regardless of what it was for, or what happened? Uh, so, you know, I'm interested to see what that does. Like, I think this trade deadline though should get the market back to normal a little bit if some people move. Because as we all know, the Rudy Gobert trade really like blew the market out of proportion. Um, so and Kevin Durant's asking out possibly. So 
that could also do a lot to change the market. But, you know, I, I saw his link to Josh Hart today, but as you said earlier, these reports that all come out, this happens all the time. And, and, it, and we rarely make moves that are related to the reports that come out. But I mean, Josh Hart's an interesting player. He's the kind of guy that I feel like I wouldn't mind us targeting somebody to come in and help in multiple ways and a variety of ways because he's versatile, can play a few positions, rebound, defend, uh, facilitate a little bit. And I don't think he would cost too much, but at the same time, and the issue I keep coming back to in most of these things, I don't know what anything costs because of the market being all over the place. I have no idea what anything costs in terms of like what we're trying to make happen this uh, trade deadline. Yeah, I'm very intrigued by the Josh Hart rumor. I'm not sure why the Blazers would want to move Josh Hart. Um, I think that he's a very good player. I think that his play style would very much resonate with Knicks fans. Josh Hart is famously an incredible offensive rebounder, incredible rebounder for a guard in general, plays extremely hard. Villanova guy, we have a few of those. And the one thing about Josh Hart is that his three-point attempt rate is has plummeted. He doesn't shoot many threes. I think that if he were shooting threes at a higher volume, he'd be a guy that the Blazers definitely wouldn't want to move. But regardless, I could see him fitting in well with the second unit. And uh, you said it earlier with how well Emmanuel quickly is playing. Emmanuel quickly has cemented himself as the sixth starter on this team on the vast majority of nights. He's a closer. So when you're starting there, building out your bench under a coach who only wants to play nine guys, you're starting from a point of strength. Like you have a great sixth man and that's you have three players left to go. And, you know, Mitch is going to come back. Hardenstein's going to move back to the bench. Hardenstein's definitely been playing well enough to feel confident in him at backup center. And the same goes for Jericho Sims. Jericho Sims has come up absolutely huge recently. Jericho Sims gets better every time you watch him. I really appreciate that about him. So the, uh, the rumored upgrades to the bench, I don't know if they've had any teeth, but there was this Utah Jazz rumor with Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt. And now um, at the time we're recording this, we're already aware of what seems like some pretty strong reporting about a three-team deal with LA, Minnesota, and Utah, D'Angelo Russell involved, Russell Westbrook involved, Mike Conley involved. I have read that there are there is the potential for Beasley and or Vanderbilt to be involved in that trade. And I never really bought the rumors from the Knicks perspective anyway, because we know Danny Ainge asks for a lot for any asset that he has. And these would be two players who would be slotting into bench roles for the Knicks. So I don't see them giving up what it would take there. There was the, the first report was OB and a first round pick, which just, that just doesn't really make sense to me for those two guys. Um, now, Malik Beasley is very good, fantastic shooter, great guard to have off your bench. But like we said, quickly is the sixth man and the Knicks only play four guys off the bench. So how is Beasley really getting to those minutes? He would have to play some of the backup three minutes, uh, even though RJ can be staggered and played there. And I don't think Beasley's ideal for that. He's about 6'4", and he's not a strong defender at all. So while he would be good, I don't I don't really see him as filling a big-time need on the Knicks. And Jared Vanderbilt, even, even worse of a fit. I mean. A power forward that doesn't shoot good in a small ball center role. But when have we seen Tibbs go to small lineups? That doesn't make too much sense to me either. So that's one example of a rumor that I don't think has too much behind it. How do you feel about, uh, I've seen a lot about Bones Highland and his availability. A lot of people have been talking about how exciting and electrifying it would be to have IQ and Bones Highland. 
But I mean, for me personally, it goes back to what you said about Malik Beasley. I don't think this team should be looking to add anyone who isn't a plus defender. I think that defense is really our calling card. You know, after last night's game against Orlando, we're 23 and one in games where you hold teams under 110 points. Like I need us focusing on defense, especially for guys coming off the bench. Anybody that we're going to bring in, it's not like a plus defender needs to be like some kind of offensive star or something like that. Like I think otherwise you go par for the course, you play great defenders. Um, I don't want somebody to take away Deuce McBride's minutes that isn't a Deuce McBride level or at least close to his level of defender. And so that's why someone like Josh Hart interests me. Like I wouldn't mind because you don't really lose anything there. But I think with Bones Island, I think you give up a lot defensively. But how do you feel? Yeah, so I think that I agree with that. Um, I'm not opposed to a guy coming in and taking, you know, the limited minutes that Deuce McBride's been getting. You know, like I said earlier, I'm really happy with the way that he's progressed this season. But Bones Highland, again, he doesn't seem to fit some crucial need for the Knicks. Obviously, he would juice the Knicks um, reserve offense a ton. But Bones Highland is very unhappy in Denver with his role coming off the bench. So we're going to have him come to New York to come off the bench under a coach who doesn't play his bench players as much as most coaches would. It doesn't really seem like a match made in heaven to me. I think Bones Highland's best path would be to get to a young rebuilding team where he could get the reps offensively. Because if Deuce McBride is still on the team and now Bones Highland comes in, like Bones Highland enters the mix, there's a very real chance that Tibbs would choose to play Deuce over him. And that wouldn't be insane because Deuce is an extremely plus defender. Bones Highland is a very negative defender. So if he's not absolutely changing the fabric of the second unit offense, I don't see how it makes too much sense for the Knicks. Yeah. And, and that also is what it, it, a lot of things come back. A lot of things about this trade deadline really for me personally come back to Stan Pat, because if you make a move like that for a Bones Highland type or something like that, just on a, we, we saw that last year, we saw, okay, we have a rotation here. Let's go out and uh, get Cam Reddish because it doesn't cost much. You can't take flyers in New York. We don't have the luxury of doing that. The fan base is going to be crying about this player not playing and, oh, I can't believe you're misusing this person and blah, 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 look what you've done. Um, And I don't want to hear that again. I don't want to go through that again. And so don't make any trades based on, oh, we might be able to grow this person's value possibly. And if not, then we didn't give much up because it's just going to annoy me, honestly. I'm, I'm good off that. Like, you know, if you're going to bring somebody in, make it somebody who can be a part of the rotation or make it a depth piece who like has no, like you said, Bones Highland having an issue with his role and then coming here. No, thanks. Even with OG, like apparently he's saying he wants a bigger role. I don't really see a bigger role here for OG. Like he's already over there starting. He's a three and D guy. I don't think I, I've, I'm still begging for RJ to get certain touches. So it's just like, I don't think that we have that path for guys to come in here and get that bigger role that they desire. And I don't want to see any more of the, uh, circuses that go on about who isn't getting this role and who the, who are being unfair to and blah, 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 blah. Like things are going well. You've got a solid team, uh, block in. Yeah. And also, sorry, my, my bad. One thing that was really big for me was I felt like we needed to add a depth piece because I didn't want to be one injury away from seeing Evan Fournier on the court. That was really important to me. Um, but honestly, I got to give credit where credit's due, man. That Philadelphia game, we don't win that game without Evan Fournier. M. Fournier was fantastic. And honestly, even in the Heat game, he was awful in the first half. But in the second half, he was much better defensively. Like, he looked like a playable basketball player. So while I still don't really want to see him on the court, I'm not as opposed to it as a, as a guy. And even he knows his role. Like, he, they asked him in the postgame, do you think it would be in a rotation now? He's like, no, this is a one-night stand. 
I, I respect that. I'm cool with that. So, you know, I, yeah, that's where I'm at on it. Yeah. Evan Fournier has won the 10th man spot in a nine man rotation, which is interesting. Like he's clearly Tibbs first break glass in case of emergency guy. Obviously, you know, you can speculate as to the reasons why Tibbs won't play Cam Reddish at all, but he won't play Cam Reddish at all. Whether he's here or not, he's not going to get into games. Uh, we've seen that December 3rd or December 4th was the last time Cam played a second. So it's nine minutes that night and no more since then. And with Derek Rose, though, um, I think he's a guy we should talk about here because obviously the organization loves him. Obviously, Tibbs loves him. and. I'm confused why there's not more you know, rumors about him moving somewhere else. So if we think about it, Derek Rose last year was great. Derek Rose two years ago was really great. Like absolutely the quality of someone that should be in a rotation. Even at, you know, for a lot of his Knicks tenure, he's played at the level of a starting point guard, if not like a high end six man type of point guard. So he didn't play enough this year for me to disprove the fact that he can play. And he wasn't so bad when he played that he's a guy that shouldn't be in a rotation. Now, I totally understand it for the Knicks. I totally understand going to more defense. At the time that Tibbs went to the nine-man rotation and Derrick Rose was out of the mix, it made sense and it made us better. But Derrick Rose can play. There are worse backup point guards in the league than Derrick Rose, 100%. Um, the only thing I've seen is that Milwaukee might have interest, and I've seen that in the past as well. I haven't seen him really tied anywhere else. Um, so, I mean, what do you think of Derrick Rose and, and what's going on there? It just seems kind of like a crime for a player that's so beloved by just NBA fans in general to be capable of contributing and to not be playing, you know, in the final. So game. I saw something earlier this season. Once again, I'm never sure how much validity there is to these things. I don't know anything, uh, but I saw something earlier this year that Derrick Rose didn't want to be moved that he likes being here, that he likes, like, you know, being in New York, he likes his role, he likes being the vet or whatever. And so if that's the case, then I have no issue with it. Like, if he if he doesn't mind, if he doesn't want to move, it's not like we are going to get so many assets from a Derrick Rose trade that, like, we need we have to do it. Uh, I'm fine with just letting him be here and letting him fill in a role as a vet and be insurance if any, everything goes wrong. Um, but otherwise, I mean, yeah, like if he does want to go somewhere else and get the opportunity to play, I would like to see him move to like a Milwaukee or something like, you know, the, the, the part of me that's selfish on Derrick Rose's behalf wants to see him go somewhere and play and get the opportunity to contribute and hopefully win a ring or something like that. So Milwaukee would be great. Um, but you know, if Derrick Rose likes living in New York and likes where his family's at and wants to stay where he is and likes the team he's around and likes being, coming to work with Tibbs every day. Hey man, like go ahead, be my guest. I love, I love Derrick Rose. I don't mind having him here if he doesn't have a problem with it. Um, you know, he seems like he's been, you know, a great soldier about everything. Still going out there, warming up, like he's going to play 30 minutes. Um, so, you know, he's staying ready, but if he doesn't have an issue, I, I, I'm sure that if Derrick Rose wanted to be moved, they would move him. I think they have that much respect for him. And so I think that if he wanted to go somewhere and get an opportunity, they would, they would get rid of him. So I think if they keep him here, it's because he didn't want to go anywhere. Yeah, I could get behind that if Derrick Rose is genuinely okay with this situation. Um, I personally still think he's too good to be in a Udonis Haslam role. But if he's good with it, then I'm definitely good with it. And at that point, the only player that really needs to be traded is Cam Reddish because Tibbs isn't going to play him again. His contract is expiring. 
Um, just for Cam Reddish's sake, like I, I think that he played well enough when he was in the Knicks rotation to deserve to be in a rotation or at least to have a path to getting into one. I mean, he's 23 years old, and this is something that I wanted to say. I'm not like the hugest Cam Reddish fan. I didn't have the highest of high hopes for his future with the Knicks, but he played well when he was in the rotation for the most part. Obviously there were ups and downs. There are a lot of people saying now that Cam Reddish is no good, was never any good, and that he's going to be out of the league in a couple of years. There are too many people saying that for it not to be fishy because when he was in the rotation, no one was saying to take him out of the rotation. I didn't see anyone saying Cam Reddish stinks and he shouldn't be playing. But now that it's been a couple months and he hasn't played revisionist history, people are being like, yeah, well, he's not playing because he sucked all along. Like, no, it's possible that there's more to it. It's possible that something went down with the coach. Um, it's it's never really that simple. But I mean, can you can you remember people being super down about Cam this year when he was in the rotation? I feel like no, we were much in agreement that he exceeded expectations. Yeah, we weren't. But, you know, that's just how social media and just conversation in general goes. It's what have you done for me lately? And then it's like, I feel the need to oppose what everyone else is saying. But when Cam Reddish was on the court, he was really good for us. Like, not even just kind of good. Like, he made big shots for us. He had a couple of big games. He wasn't extremely consistent offensively, but he was a really good defender. Like, Cam Reddish did, and we didn't give him a huge role offensively. So, like, he was out there. He played good defense. He took on the number one assignment most nights defensively, and he finished at the basket well. He got out in transition well. He shot the three fairly well. Um, Cam Reddish has a lot of things that can help a team. And and there's a lot of teams that I believe Cam Reddish can help. And so I do hope that we get him out of here and give him the opportunity to go somewhere, finish the season off, and show what he can do and recoup as much as he can in terms of his uh, negotiations this offseason. Because, yeah, I, I don't know where this whole thing is coming from about Cam Reddish not being good. The other day, somebody was like, oh, uh, Cam Reddish is worse than Evan Fournier. And I was just like, that's simply untrue. And Evan Fournier had a great game, don't get me wrong, but it's just like what Cameron does on a defensive end and how dynamic he is as a player, um, even even if he's not super consistent, like he's a good asset to have. He's a good player to have on your team. I think he would fit, like, you know, if Dallas had any more assets or whatever, I think he'd fit perfectly over there. I feel like that's exactly what they're missing now, like the long-rangey defensive wing who they can slot at the three or four and who can guard primaries if necessary. And so, like, I think Cam Reddish can guard primaries on most teams, on most nights, and fill in at the two, the three, the four, uh, space the floor for you, attack the basket for you, play good defense, get into passing lanes. He does all those things pretty well. So I do hope he gets the opportunity somewhere because he is a good basketball player, and I, I think he's got a good, bright future. Yeah, we spoke earlier uh, briefly about the prospect of a Bones Highland move. And in a move like that, Cam Reddish likely would be the main player going to Denver. And I would love that for him, um, you know, envisioning him kind of in that role that Tory Craig filled for them uh, for a while. I think that he would do great there. Now, he may have higher aspirations than that, and that's, you know, that's fine. But I think that he could thrive there. And then with a Josh Hart deal, uh, once again, Cam Reddish would be the main player going to the Portland Trailblazers. And I think that he could do great there as well. I mean, I think Cam can thrive in a lot of places because he's 6'8", six, 6'9", six, and he plays pretty hard. Like, he plays hard. He's got a smooth game. He finishes really well at the rim. I mean, we were just starting to we were just starting to see Cam get comfortable, so I hate that he ended up on the bench long term. But his finishing in, trans- in transition was genuinely special. 
But there are a few things about Cam Reddish that are special. So I think when a 23-year-old player is flashing things that are special, and in the meantime, he's not hurting you. He's a good defender. He was His decision-making improved so much uh, as his stint with the Knicks went on. And then one day he stopped playing. And like to what you said about someone said that Cam's not as good as Evan Fournier. After Evan Fournier got benched at first, Cam was still in the lineup. Was anyone saying, get Cam out of here, I want to see Evan Fournier? No. I just wish people would at least like be honest about what their thoughts were at the time. Understand that it's okay to change your mind, but like be honest, you weren't saying that back then. So don't say that you were. Yeah. Like I think we can all be level-headed about what's going on and, you know, just be objective about what we're seeing. And just because a guy's not playing for our team, we don't have to put him down and act like he uh, wasn't a productive player. But um, on that note, in terms of where we are as a team and how we feel coming into the trade deadline, we're going to take a quick break and come right back and get into the mailbag question. So stay tuned. Don't touch that dial. Do they still have dials? All right, we're back and it's time for some mailbag questions. Going to get started here with a question from Michael, who asks for a breakdown of what draft picks the Knicks have to work with. He says, I know the Dallas one, but there are others, right? Yeah, so we have we have our picks, of course, all of them. We have the Dallas pick this year, which is top 10 protected. We have the Pistons pick and the Wizards pick. Both the Pistons and, and Wizards picks are a lot of protected. Um, one, I believe the Wizards pick is slightly less protected than the Pistons pick, but they each become less protected each year. So where it may be lottery, then top 10, then top eight, then top six, whatever it may be. But it goes like that each year. And we also have the Milwaukee Bucks 2025 pick, which is top three protected. So earlier in the show, we talked about that one rumor that involved Obi Toppin, a first round pick, the Utah Jazz, Jared Vanderbilt and Malik Beasley. Well, Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt have officially been traded now. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this, Sean. This is about two minutes old. But Lakers, Jazz, and Timberwolves are finalizing a trade, sending D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, and Jared Vanderbilt to Los Angeles, Russell Westbrook, and first-round pick to Utah, Mike Conley Jr., and second-round pick compensation to Minnesota. Um, I know that this is a Knicks podcast, but we're all fans of the NBA, just at large. And I'd like to ask you what you think about this move. Um, My first reaction is I'm surprised the Lakers were able to get this much for Westbrook's expiring and what seems to be one first round pick and not both of the first round picks they had D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt. Yeah. I mean, the Lakers now are a very deep team and I think that's part of their issue. They didn't have a lot of, they were kind of devoid of talent outside of, you know, Braun and AD Russ didn't have the greatest fit there. So yeah, I think they came out really well here. They added a lot of shooting between D'Angelo Russell and Malik Beasley. And Jared Vanderbilt is a guy who can play multiple positions out there with AD and Braun at forward and everything, small ball five, whatever it may be. So I definitely think a very good move for the Lakers and definitely very interesting. I, I too, am surprised by, you know, Russ in the first round pick and getting in this much, but that's dope. Yeah, and I think it's relevant data for the Knicks because uh, you talked about earlier in the show, Kyrie, even though there are unique circumstances around Kyrie and his Brooklyn Nets tenure, he went for a first round pick and, you know, a couple of very solid role players, but how does that affect the market? Cause you know, we had Rudy Gobert when he got moved for a ridiculous sum 
people were wondering, how does the market normalize after this? Well, the Lakers were just able to get a whole lot for one, either 2027 or 2029 draft pick. And the Knicks have that and a lot more to offer teams. So I think this is yet another data point telling us that if the Knicks are motivated to make a move, they more than have the ammo to do so. You and I aren't really clamoring for a move here at the deadline, you know, in the next 18, whatever it is, hours. But it's more than possible to get something done with what the Knicks have. Definitely. Like you said, I think that's definitely a market normalizer. Uh, and you can see that uh, teams are going to start operating without acting like you have to include three first round picks at all. Um, so I'm excited to see, you know, what else, what else tomorrow has to offer because this is definitely a big move and it definitely is going to have implications around the league just in terms of the market and value and all that stuff. And like, like we said, the Lakers got a lot out of that. So I'm interested to see what happens for the rest of the trade deadline. I don't know how we were supposed to give up OBN a first for Beasley and Vanderbilt. If, if they were valued, this they were literally throw-ins in this trade. This, this trade got reported without both of them at first. It was just D'Angelo Russell, and they were literally throw-ins. So had we given up OB in the first-round pick for guys who were throw-ins, I'd have been mad. I'm surprised at Danny Ainge not squeezing every last possible bit of value out of these guys. I really feel like he could have come away with more, but you know his last major trades aged very well. They've got Larry Markin in there now, first-time All-Star. Congratulations to him. So, All right, well, this is super interesting, and it's been fun. But we're going to get back to the mailbag questions. Um, another one of them is from Lucas, who asks, how is Obi's potential trade value affected by his lack of playing time? This question is near and dear to my heart. So this is the this is the case with any young player. If you don't want to play him, you still want to maximize him as a trade asset. Can't really maximize him as a trade asset without playing. I think the Knicks have found a way to minimize his trade value and his on-court value all at once. And so I think that there's it's very possible that there's a general manager out there thinking, damn, Obi Toppin's really good. I think he's being underutilized. I think we could trade for him. We could get a lot more out of him than the Knicks have gotten out of him. But the thing is, when they're on the phone with Leon Rose or Gerson Rosas or whoever's handling that negotiation, they're going to say, you know, we'll, we'll pay the price that we would pay for a 12-minute-per-game player. We're not going to pay you like the player we think Obi can be because you haven't showed us that he could be that. So you set up another team to kind of pull one over on you. And I do think the Knicks will end up moving Obi eventually. My gut tells me it won't happen tomorrow, but there's just, there's just no other way to slice it. Like the Knicks are not going to get as much as they could have out of Obi Toppin in a trade because of the way that he's been handled. He's never had a pathway to earning more minutes because the coach sees him as a straight four who can't play any center minutes. And we have a very, very, very good four on our team who's an all-star deservedly. So there's no opportunity to play together, then there's no opportunity. It's just a very small minor bench role. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, uh, and that's part of the reason I'm very against trading Obi. I just don't think you're gonna get anywhere near the value that you could out of that. And, you know, like, I mean, as much as I would love it for Obi to go somewhere and get his opportunity on a personal level, like for the Knicks, I don't think it makes sense to move him because you're not going to get anything of value for him. Because like you said, he's been playing, I mean, less minutes this year, I think, than he even played last year, which is kind of crazy. But, you know, he's he's been on the crack 15 minutes a game. So, I mean, how much do you really think a team's going to come off you for that guy? 
Yeah, look, we've we've covered Obi and his predicament a lot on this podcast, a lot on all of our next wall accounts. Um, we're all varying levels of Obi Toppin fans, and I think we'd like to see a lot more of him in the future. But you know, we just we just wish him the best with his career at this point. If if it means not playing for the Knicks, whatever the Knicks are able to get back, we'll see. But I just hope that Obi Toppin gets the chance to really fully show what he's got. We're gonna move on to another mailbag question now which comes from candace who asks looking at the conference the eastern conference do you see the knicks jumping or dropping in the standings uh post all-star break personally i see the knicks jumping i mean right now we are uh tied for six technically we have the tiebreaker over miami since we beat them um but i think that we can definitely solidify six at the very least and maybe even climb up to five i mean i think that with the Nets, moving Kyrie, you never know what happens tomorrow. Maybe Kevin Durant gets moved. Uh, he doesn't seem to be happy there. Uh, that'd be super interesting. But, you know, in that case, you just have to consider the Nets drop. I mean, although Cam Thomas looks like he may average 40 points a game for the rest of the season. So I could, you know, throw a monkey wrench into that. But I think the Nets might drop. I, I don't think the Cavaliers are super good. Um, I don't think they're like somebody we can't catch. So, you know, I think once we get Mitchell Robinson back, we can really round out. But also with this next team, I mean, you also never know from week to week. You know, we might win eight, eight in a row, and we might lose five in a row. We might win four in a row. We might lose five in a row again. So, but I think that once Mitch gets back, we should be uh, rounding the corner into the home stretch and trying to play the best basketball we can. And I think that we can definitely solidify top six, which would technically be moving up since we're tied for right, right now. Yeah, that's absolutely my goal. Um, I want to solidify top six. I don't want to be in the play-in. Um, sometimes I am not a fan of the plan because of the risk that the Knicks will be in seventh or eighth and lose a couple playing games. But I also appreciate uh, the late season drama that it causes, causes some more teams to go for it at the end of the year versus tank. And I think it leads to more competitive basketball. I'm not shying away from a playing matchup but I don't want to see them. I want the Knicks to be in the playoffs. So six seed is my goal. Obviously you aim higher than that, but by aiming higher for that, higher than that, hopefully you solidify that six seed. And yeah, Mitchell Robinson coming back. Like it's just, I hope that people recognize once Mitch goes out of the lineup, how important he is to the team. That level of offensive rebounding and granted Hardenstein and Sims are very good at it too, but Mitch is just like, People always think when their favorite team drafts a guy in the 20s, in the second round, a center with raw athletic tools, seven feet tall, they always act like or project that player to be who Mitchell Robinson is. Like Mitchell Robinson to me is one of one as far as like a raw, super athletic center who really hit the way that the fans thought that they could. And it's made us all look pretty smart because from... Mitchell Robinson's rookie year when he was blocking three-point shots at a historic rate. We are like, yeah, this guy's a starting center, 100%. And he's more than solidified that. He's one of the best in the league, in my opinion. And so, yeah, when Mitch comes back, I mean, sky's really the limit. Headed into the All-Star break, who has exceeded your expectations so far this season and who has disappointed? Sean, why don't you guys start it on that one? Um, I think... So I would say that uh, Jalen Brunson has exceeded my expectations. I thought he'd be good when he got here. Um, you know, when we brought him in, I was like, okay, you know, even if he were to average like 18 and seven, average like 20 and seven, like we could be pretty good. 
But I mean, like this guy that's coming out getting 30 bombs every, like, you know, every other night, seemingly uh, this guy that's carrying us down a stretch of basketball games and just closing him out. Uh, the poise he plays with um, and just the level of comfort I have when the ball is in his hands late in the game. I think that that's definitely exceeded the expectations I had coming into this year. Um, I would say Emmanuel quickly has exceeded my expectations, but I think he's doing just about what I knew he could do. I, I don't know if he's exceeded my expectations. I know he's exceeded general expectations. And for that, I'm very proud, but I was well aware that he could do this. And this is what I expected him to do if he got time. Um, so I'm very, very happy for him early in the season. It was like, he was playing really good defense and making the right play, but the shots just weren't falling. And so now recently and more than recently, we've been getting the shots falling him attacking plus the defense. He's just putting it all together, the rebounding. Uh, so I'm really proud of him for that. Um, Julius Randle also, like, I, I didn't think he was going to play at this level this season coming into it. Like, you know, we were, I just had a bad taste in my mouth from last year, things like that. I wasn't sure he'd be bought in, but he's just been really good. I mean, I've always known he was good at basketball, but you know, he's just really been bought in and he's almost, you know, outplaying his all NBA season, which is kind of crazy to think about. Uh, as far as disappointment, mm, RJ's disappointed me on a defensive end for sure. Like I wanted RJ to come in and be like, uh, I was like, okay, like part, part of the reason I was so excited about potentially getting Quentin Grimes in starting lineup is like, I want a high level defense from both wing positions every night. And I haven't gotten that. And it's not Quentin Grimes' fault. So, you know, I need RJ to be better defensively and more consistent defensively. I think offensively, he's been fine. Um, I think, you know, he's, especially in the role that he's in, uh, he's been putting up 20 a game uh, relatively efficiently, especially if you exclude that flu week where he was just terrible. Um, but overall, he's been okay. But defensively, he's just been a huge disappointment. I need to pick that up. Anybody else I've been disappointed by? Uh no, not, not really. I think I, overall, you know, I think even even Tibbs is exceeded my expectations, to be honest. I mean, if you told me coming into the season that Derrick Rose wouldn't be playing and we would have gotten Evan Fournier to start lineup like in the second week of the year or something like that, I wouldn't have necessarily believed you. And so I think Tibbs has made some necessary adjustments. He's still frustrated me at times, but I'm glad to see that, you know, we're running with an average rotation that has an age of 24. Uh, a rotation that has an average age of 24. And we're winning ball games, so I'm pretty happy about it. What about you? Uh, expectations and exceeding and disappointments. Yeah. So first, I really like the way you framed what you said about Emmanuel quickly because instinctively I would have him on my exceeded expectations list, but he's not playing in a way that's surprising to me at all. So I don't know if I should say that because I just think Emmanuel quickly is this good. I've always thought that if you give Emmanuel quickly a guarantee of 25 plus minutes, that he's going to reward you for it, like. He 100% has, we said earlier, he's established himself as the sixth starter. Um, and he's played this well. Well, I think I saw his three-point percentage today is 34.7%. He's a better shooter than that number. He's 100% a better shooter than that number. So all the things that you love about Emmanuel quickly, the, you know, the playmaking, defense, which is at an elite level, and it's going to stay there. If that three-point shot gets back into the high 30s, like... You know, the Knicks will be, the, I think the Knicks have a real opportunity and I, I, I'm i rooting for Emmanuel quickly to make as much money as he possibly can. But I think the Knicks are going to be able to get him on a contract extension that in a couple of years is going to look like a, a hell of a bargain. So Emmanuel quickly, very impressive so far this season. I would say Mitch has exceeded my expectations with the physical shape he came in with and just how hard he plays. Um, he's always He's always been a hustle guy, but it's like, He's been working hard and smart now, uh, not as much of the foul trouble. He started to do well with that last year. 
but Mitch succeeded expectations. Obviously, Randall. I do feel like Randall's playing better than his All NBA year. Um, Jalen Brunson, I would say he's kind of at expectations for me. I definitely thought he was this good. I definitely bought what he did in the playoffs when, when Luca was out. And I'm not surprised to see him be this good. I'm very, uh, I don't know if I'd say surprised, but I'm really happy with having him in the clutch. I think it just changes the experience of watching a Nick game when you have Jalen Brunson on the court who could break down defenses the way he has. Even just last night, broke down the defense, a little shovel pass to Jericho Sims for the dunk. So, you know, kind of help the game be put out of reach towards the end of the year. And then for disappointing players, I'm right there with you about RJ Barrett's defense. Now, I he can improve on offense. Like there's places where he needs to improve on offense. But in the past, when he was defending at a higher level, nobody was putting that level of a microscope on his defense. And so I can't really blame anyone for for now, like taking the whole picture and and having a negative view. Um, I think that if RJ can get back to defending the way he was defending, hopefully build from there. But if he can get back to the level he was at, where he was an above average defender, then, I mean, this Knicks defense is already good, but RJ Barrett could really take it to another level. And we had another mailbag question in here somewhere. It might get lost in the shuffle, but it's um, who do you think is the most important Nick for you heading into this later stage of the season, you know, following the the trade deadline. And to me, it's 100% R.J. Barrett. There's no bigger wild card on the Knicks than R.J. Barrett. We've gotten more out of most of the players on the roster than we would have thought. And R.J. Barrett, he's just, he's that wild card. The way that he ended last year from January all through the end of the season, I expected him to build off of that. Um, whatever the circumstances are, that hasn't happened so far this year, but he's still a good player. And if he can get back to, if he can get back on track, this, the, the way that I feel about this team is incredibly positive. I agree. Honestly, like I think this team goes like, you know, I think our floor is established and just like we're, we're a solid team. I think we'll be, you know, in the playoffs, we'll get a top six seed. You know, you know, you can depend on Jalen. Uh, Julius has been big for most of the year. I think our role players fit very well in terms of Quentin Grimes, where he's at Emmanuel quickly, where he is. And so, you know, Mitchell Robinson doing his job and we've got him out there. It's just like if RJ Barrett can give us that consistent production, especially on both ends of the floor, it definitely raises the ceiling of this team like hugely. And so I'm hoping that we can get that level of production out of RJ Barrett because it would really like make us. I one of my goals, honestly, like I want us to go to the playoffs and I want like a really big like RJ performance in the playoffs. Like I want RJ to come out in the playoffs and average like 23 six and four or something like that and like really put the league on notice and stop all those crazy conversations about him but you know he's got to get there he's got to show up and you know the defense has to pick up and it's been better over the past couple weeks um but i needed to be high level and consistent like i know he's capable of yeah well said i know my man nick's tape had asked us and he said uh he had a nick mailback question of cam reddish and two second round picks for moses moody from the warriors um, I personally, I like that. I, I like any trade that uses Cam Reddish and gets a usable piece of asset that there isn't like a lot of pressure on to throw in a rotation right away. Um, of course, Nick fans would probably be like, oh, I need Moses Moody on the court right now. You traded Cam for him. But like, you know, if you just brought in Moses Moody and you had him as, you know, a further possible development piece, I mean, he was what, the seventh pick in the draft, not too long, or 14th pick in the draft not too long ago. Uh, he seems like a solid defender with a big body. He can shoot the ball. 
Um, so, you know, I haven't seen a lot of him in Golden State, but it would be nice just to be able to get another body in here. Um, and I personally don't give a damn about second round picks. So I wouldn't hate that trade if the Warriors are open to it. And I'd also like to see Cam Reddish with the Warriors, even though their season might be over now that Steph Curry's hurt again. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I saw that right before we started recording. And I'm a fan of a move like that. Um, taking a flyer on a very, very young player might not be ideal when it's a Tom Thibodeau team, but we don't know if Tibbs is going to be the coach forever. And we don't know what young player might be able to win Tibbs heart. Like you said, the average age of the rotation is 24. So Moses Moody is a very intriguing player who came into the league in a situation where that team had title aspirations uh, and won a title. So it's hard to get the opportunity and the rope that you need to, to properly develop. But, you know, I think people with people's evaluation of Moses Moody coming out of the draft, it shouldn't have changed that much because he hasn't gotten to play all that much. So yeah, moving Cam Reddish, I'd be happy for him in, in Golden State, but moving Cam and a couple seconds like you, I do not care about seconds for Moses Moody. I'm, I'm intrigued by that deal. Well, the Knicks are in a pretty good place. The trade deadline is upon us. By the time you're hearing this, it's either rapidly approaching or past. Um, and so the Knicks probably didn't do anything. And if we did, then I hope that it moves us to a brighter future and a better end to the season. Uh, I'm feeling pretty confident about us uh, as we head into the end of the season. Dean, how are you feeling? Extremely confident. We're, we're in a good place. I think it's a good time to be a Knicks fan. Um, and so whether we make moves or not at the deadline, don't overreact. Let's just be excited about what we have for us this season. Thank you guys so much for sending in your mailbag questions. And thank you so much, as always, for listening to the pod. Until next time, we are signing off. Myself, Sean Geddes, my co-host. Dean Joanne. You got to say it with more life, Dean. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're out of here. Thank you guys for listening. And until next time, adios.